Warren Buffett, BlackRock, and other institutional players dominate investments in commercial aviation. Why? Because it's one of the most profitable and predictable alternative assets that exists. And it's not tied to other markets such as real estate and the stock market. Is it safe? Well, imagine triple net leases to the likes of American Airlines and British Airways. Income is contractual and guaranteed by some of the biggest named airlines in the world. That's why this kind of investment was never available to the ordinary accredited investor. That is until now. Visit accesswealthaviation.com and check it out for yourself. Invest in an institutional team with over 200 plus years of combined investment experience in the aviation sector. Conservative investing with double digit returns and tax advantages. That's accesswealthaviation.com. Accesswealthaviation.com. You are listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast with Buck Joffrey. Get ready to change your life. Welcome, everybody. This is Buck Joffrey with the Wealth Formula Podcast. And today I would like to start out by reminding you of all the great goodies. That you're missing out if you have not been to wealthformula.com, which is the website and home base of this podcast. And that is a place where you can get all sorts of free stuff. And who doesn't like free stuff? We're talking about free books and free downloads of all kinds. You can also get on the investor club list if you are an accredited investor and make sure that you start actually taking some action on these things that we talk about on the show rather than just sitting alone on the sideline with some lazy money in your lap. Um, also, I want to remind you that there is a course. So, you know, uh, we have this community called Wealth Formula Network, and we ha started this thing uh, with a course, right? And the course is called uh, Your Roadmap to Real Wealth. And it is a course that gives you the foundations, the basics of personal finance that you did not get in school, probably, unless you were an accounting student uh, and uh, or you had some special education that none of the rest of us people seem to have. Uh, anyway, there's a ton of information on there with some high-powered attorneys and tax people like Kevin Day and Tom Wheelwright and um, Ken McElroy, uh, the real estate guru himself, uh, Dean Graziosi, et cetera. Check that all out at uh, wealthformularoadmap.com. Now, that's only the beginning, though, because once you sign that up, that's the foundation, right? Then you have got the community of Wealth Formula Network, which has an active Facebook community. It also has a bi-weekly mastermind call, which is a big favorite with people who are, uh, you know, who are members and also an extra portal on which we post various uh, contents such as recorded phone calls, for example. Anyway, check it all out again at wealthformularoadmap.com. We would love to have you. And especially if you're one of those people at the Scottsdale event and got a lot out of it, this is exactly where you will find the same kind of thing on a weekly basis, don't make it just a, you know, biannual, whatever, whenever we do meetups kind of thing. So um, anyway, so let's start, uh, let's talk a little bit about today's show. Um, you know, when you, uh, when you're in this world of, of a, the podcast, the alternative podcast world, and I think I'm part of that alternative investment podcast, right? Um, you hear a lot of people talking about real estate and I don't consider myself 
just a real estate podcast. I'm in a personal finance podcast, really for for people who've got a little bit of money. We're not talking about getting out of you know cubicles, et cetera, stuff like that. Uh, we are here talking about investing. And then once in a while, though, I hear on these shows, I'll hear people who are talking about great investments, but they're really talking about something different, right? I mean, they may, they're talking about investments that are yielding 20% or more. And on the surface, they sound great. In fact, the yield part might actually be real. However, we're so ingrained in this investment world that we fail to see the obvious distinction that may not be so obviously disclosed by people who are selling a product. You see, there's a big difference between investing, right, and buying or starting a business. That's a big difference. A business is inherently riskier than investing in something like multifamily real estate or self-storage, things like, you know, that are uh, really just, you know, kind of slow burn uh, wealth creation uh, type things. Now, why is that? Well, it's because businesses tend to have shorter lifespans to them and often get phased out over time uh, by technology or they just flat out fail. And I've got a couple of those failures under my belt, so I can tell you that that is the case. I had one that lasted 10 years, I had another that lasted three or four years and, and they did well while they existed and then their time came up and they, you know, rest in peace, right? Uh, but it's not just the little guys like me. I mean, listen, big businesses get phased out all the time. You know, technology, the internet is has phased out a lot of businesses. Remember just, you know, literally 15, 20 years ago, blockbusters, right? I mean, shoot, how many blockbusters you see around anymore? How about Sears, right? Sears was around for a while. And then for some reason, that catalog just stopped coming in the mail. And I think it might have had something to do with the likes of Amazon. And in the meantime, at the same time, you take a drive around Chicago or Boston. You know, I was in Chicago for a long time. I was there in the 90s, and I've gone back recently, and those same buildings are still there. People are still living there, same place that I lived. And you look around and you realize that multifamily, these buildings, I mean, in, in Chicago, or like in Boston or any of these older cities in New York, buildings that are over 100 years old are a dime a dozen. They are everywhere. See, the thing is, needing a place to live seems like a problem we can't solve with technology quite yet. Anyway, so when someone comes on a podcast and makes a comparison or makes some sort of claim about high yields and with investing in something, but they're really talking about a business, starting a business or buying a business, they're not being completely honest. You see, for all the reasons we discussed earlier, businesses are inherently riskier to own than assets like multifamily real estate or self-storage. Now, don't get me wrong. I mean, I made all of my initial money starting businesses, uh, not by, you know, just buying real estate and, 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 you know, with no money in my hands. I mean, you can't buy real estate if you don't have any money. Um, like Robert Kiyosaki says, my businesses buy my real estate. And that is mostly true still. And the idea is therefore to take this explosive earnings that you get with a business, you make it really high returns. I mean, if you start a business, you'd be getting 100% or more returns 
cash on cash in a year. And you take those explosive earnings and then you lock them into slow burning stable assets that create long-term wealth. And, you know, uh, that is a very important concept that a lot of entrepreneurs don't understand either. You know, the entrepreneur's trap, you know, and I'm an entrepreneur, is to take that money and dump all of it back into his or her business. Now, I've been actually guilty of that before early on. Um, where I, I disproportionate amount of, of money that was being made from a business I own was going into, you know, growing a business bigger and starting other offices, et cetera. And I got burned. I got burned. And knowing what I know now, it pains me to see others do that. So if you're out there and you're dumping all of your money back in your business to grow the same business and aren't taking anything out to invest in other stuff, uh, be forewarned. I'm telling you right now, it's a mistake I've learned the hard way. On the other hand, if you've never owned a business, uh, it might be worth something, you know, to give a shot. I mean, I mean, starting a business from scratch is a little harder and not everybody has the DNA for that. But, you know, you can buy businesses uh, that are already working and already have uh, a track record of making money. Just remember, though, that, you know, buying businesses can be risky, too. So, you know, if you're super conservative, don't bother. Um, you know, the risk is baked in to the yield, right? That's why instead of getting 8 or 9 or 10% like you might with leverage real estate, um, if you're buying a small business, you should be looking at getting at least 30 40% cash on cash returns. I mean, for the size of business that, you know, us, we can, we can afford. We're not talking about you know, Warren Buffett acquiring, uh, you know, a railroad or something like that. Um, but beyond the higher returns, you should also have a number of tax advantages uh, that come with owning a business that you should consider as well. Anyway, I think it's worth considering. And But if you are one of those people tempted by the idea of getting into business ownership, but don't really want to bet the farm on it, uh, I think you're going to like this week's Wealth Formula podcast because it is uh, about, it's, it's from a guy, the discussion is with a guy from a business called Empire Flippers, which is essentially a, uh, a broker for online businesses. Now, remember, one of the big problems and barrier to entry and risk, frankly, uh, to brick and mortar business is expense and overhead. But online businesses can have, you know, fairly low expense to get into and you know, kind of have pretty much minimal to zero overhead. Um, and at the same time, if you do it right, they can have substantial upside. Anyway, that should be enough to pique your interest uh, in this week's show, which we will have uh, right after these messages. What do the Rothschilds, the Romneys, and the billionaire hedge fund managers know that you don't about growing and protecting wealth? As you might imagine, the wealthy have a few tricks up their sleeves. One strategy allows you to grow wealth tax-free at a compounding rate with no volatility. It protects your money from creditors and lawsuits, and it lets you invest the same money in two different places at the same time. How about that for amplifying wealth? To learn more, go to WealthFormulaBanking.com. Again, that's WealthFormulaBanking.com. Self-storage is a necessary evil. It's where you keep your stuff and forget about it. No wonder this stuff is so profitable and recession resistant. The Wealth Formula community, well, we've benefited from that. We've made lots of money in this space with Reliant Real Estate. 
one of the largest self-storage companies in the country. With an average investor internal rate of return of almost 34%, with hold times just over three and a half years, these guys know what the meaning of velocity of money is. If you're an accredited investor, make sure to check out what they're up to right now at ReliantFund4.com. Again, that's ReliantFund4.com. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Today, my guest on Wealth Formula podcast is Greg Elfrank from Empire Flippers. Empire Flippers has helped buy and sell over $50 million in online businesses. Um, it's an Inc. 5000 company and the number one curated marketplace for buying and selling established profitable online businesses. Greg, welcome to the show. Yeah, thank, thank you so much for having me, man. I, I really appreciate it. Yeah, so let's let's kind of start out with, you know, why an investor should consider buying an online business, particularly if this is not really their world. Why why would you do something like that? Yeah, so I would make the the argument that, you know, commercial real estate or stocks wasn't initially your world either, right? When you start off in your investment career. Uh, as to why you might want to do online investments, uh, like an online business versus, say, another stock investment or another real estate investment, is really the ROI potential. So if you look at, a, like a, let's say, a real estate rental at $100,000, just to make everything easy, uh, that you, you're putting like 20% down on it. Um, uh, it. When it's all said and done, that $100,000 investment might be cash flowing you like 600 to $800 per month. And that's before you start taking like the taxes out, possibly a HOA, like homeowner association out, uh, the money you have to save for a rainy day when you eventually will have to fix the roof, all that, all that kind of stuff. And now you're looking at a cash flow of maybe $300, right? Mm -hmm. Of actual uh, monthly net profit. Uh, if you took that same $100,000 and you invested it in, say, uh, a content website that's fairly hands-off, that right now with the way multiples are that would be about four to five thousand uh, dollars of cash flow per month with no roof with no tenants with no uh drywall you need to fix or anything like that and yet it has the same ability that real estate uh attracts so many of us to in that you can really control the investment so uh, unlike stocks where you invest in a stock market uh, or a stock uh you know company or whatever, uh, you don't really control the destiny of that, of that stock, of that investment. Like you could, if you had a ton of money, you might be able to fluctuate the value of it. Uh, but that's not most of us. Uh, and when you buy an online business, you really do control every single aspect of it to a much higher degree than any other investment uh, and with a higher return. Now, it is more volatile, of course, but the higher return, it goes with higher risk, right? No question about it. And, and, and um, you know, we were talking about this offline a little bit. I, mean, I am a little bit part of this world already, and I would, I would agree with a lot of the things that you're saying right there. Let's, let's talk specifically about the different kinds of businesses that you broker, because just, you know, online businesses are about as diverse as offline businesses. <laughs> That's so, true enough, yeah. Yeah. So give us sort of the, you know, thousand foot, summary or, or view yeah so uh not to be promotional or by any means but if your audience wants a much more in detail answer to that question i actually wrote a uh ebook on that on that subject it's called the 13 most popular online business models and it covers all the different models that we sell uh it's also it's like available on amazon you can just go to our blog blog there's a blog series on it but uh to answer your question 
I, uh, the short answer is I boil it down to like three different types of businesses, or I guess, I guess four. Um, so there's content businesses and those are like your typical blog. Uh, so it could be about anything, you know, uh, kitchen appliances, homework, uh, home improvement, you know, whatever. And they typically make money from the search traffic that's coming in on certain keywords. Uh, they usually have display ads or they're monetizing through what is called affiliate marketing. So uh, the most famous affiliate program, of course, is Amazon.com. Sure. Uh, say they it was a kitchen appliance thing and they had a, a guide on the best blenders for juicing or whatever, uh, the links to that blender on Amazon, whatever they buy. Uh, during that 24-hour period, Amazon gives them a commission. So that's the basics of content sites. They're almost like magazines, like online magazines yeah. is one way to look at it. Uh, then there's e-commerce stores. And e-commerce is just like your typical offline business where you or brick and mortar selling whatever uh, physical good usually that you want, only it's the online version of that. So uh, within that, uh, e-commerce has drop shipping, uh, which is another form of e-commerce where you're basically using a middleman to source the product so you don't have to uh, invest large amounts in inventory. But then there's uh, the other really popular subset of uh, e-commerce, which is Amazon FBA. And that's exactly what it sounds like. You uh, source a product from uh, you know, either a factory in America or China or wherever. And then you uh, put that product inside of Amazon's warehouse and they'll actually put your uh, product as a product listing on amazon.com. And that's gotten a lot of attention in the last uh, two years or so. Uh, the final one, the final big um, uh, differentiator business is software. So software as a service typically, or SaaS as it's commonly called. And SaaS is basically where someone pays a monthly membership to use your software. So the example that almost everyone's familiar with is Netflix. So Netflix is technically a software as a service. The service that you're renting for $10 a month is their streaming service, right? Mm -hmm. um, most SaaS businesses are B2B. Uh, Netflix is just an easy example for me to call out. Yeah. Um, you know, one, one of the things that when you're talking about some of these things that, that occurs to me as someone kind of, you know, like I said, I am in this world, so I kind of, I get it. But when you talk about blogs and affiliate marketing, or you talk about, you know, drop shipping or specifically software, some of these things actually require um, a fair amount of work, right? I mean, you, you, you're you going to, if you buy a blog, you're not going to just, you know, leave, uh, you know, not, not write anything for a year, you know, uh, you're going to have to write something. Uh, with drop, you know, even with uh, software, especially, you're going to be probably. <laughs> yeah. Software is probably the more, more intensive of them all. Yeah. Right. So, so are there opportunities for people who are purely, you know, or, you know, very close to, um, you know, passive who are not necessarily t that technical? Uh, absolutely. So one thing that we've seen, especially in the last I'd say year is these uh, investment funds starting to get created where these people, they'll raise money. And often the person raising the money is also the person that's good at making the deal happen in terms of acquiring the business, but they'll raise money from investors. And then they'll also employ what we call the operator that operates the actual business. So uh, they didn't pay the investor a dividend. Now those aren't so commonplace where I can just tell you where to go to, you know, sign up for that. Uh, but if you are an investor listening to this and you're like, Hey, I really want that aggressive ROI, but I don't necessarily want to do the work. And I'm kind of afraid that I can't do the work. Uh, what I would tell you to initially start off with is probably a content site. 
because those are usually pretty hands off uh, once they get going. Like uh, all the work is front loaded on most of those content sites to get it initially ranked in Google. And once you're ranked, you're ranked. It's, it's just you're, you just stay there and you get traffic until an algorithm update comes or a competitor comes. But usually you're pretty solid for at least a few months. Um, and you can kind of get your feet wet easier that way into the online business world. The other thing I would really suggest for investors, if you have the capital and if you have a skill set, say uh, managing people or delegation, then you are already like 99% more skilled than the average internet business buyer. Uh, and that skill set will like, like you might have to take a little bit of the ROI off the table to hire someone uh, to operate that business. But the skill set of delegation is one of the most powerful skill sets uh, when it comes to making money with online business, in my, in my personal opinion. So that that's some like mindset shift that might be a, help some investors. When, you, when I think of risk for these kinds of things, um, let me give you an, an example. For um, we, you know, in one of my businesses uh, in in Chicago, uh, had uh, it's 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 an offline business. It's a real business, but um, so much of the traffic over the last decade was driven by the fact that we were ranked number one for. Uh, a keyword. I mean, we are search engine op optimization. We literally were number one, uh, for these, you know, major keywords for a decade through all the algorithm changes, et cetera. Wow. That's amazing. Uh, yeah, it is amazing. <laughs> yeah, the guy is, 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 you know, hope you got a good bonus. <laughs> he's my savior, man. He's, he's the best. Ever. And then the most recent update that we had, it was called Medicus and it affected medical sites in particular. Mm -hmm. We got hammered out of nowhere. <laughs> and so for a decade, we were number one, absolutely killing it in terms of organic traffic, which is obviously super cheap, right? It's free. Yeah. <laughs> and then we went from there to all of a sudden paying for every bit of our traffic. So that is obviously one of the big risks that you're going to run into, right? I mean, would you consider that the biggest risk um, when it comes to any site in particular that would um, would require traffic? So uh, that's a really good question. It really depends on the business because every business is a bit different. Uh, the first thing I would say about risk, so if you compare it to apples to apples, like real estate or stocks, even if you buy a site and it's only profitable or like you know 80% of the profit falls away in like six to seven months, the chances of what you're making even after that cliff uh, is probably still more than the other investment all in. So like you have a lot more room for failure in that, in that case. Uh, as far as risk goes with uh, the search traffic example, uh, you bring up a really solid point. Uh, most, most online businesses, at least that we see on the sell side, they typically have what we call a critical point of failure. And that critical point of failure changes based off the business model. So on a content site, uh, is usually SEO because you don't control Google, right? If they do an algorithm update, you could be screwed or maybe you're the one who didn't get screwed and suddenly you're just skyrocketing through, right? But either way, you don't control it. Um, with Amazon FBA, the critical point of failure is Amazon because Amazon could at any time take away the program or change the rules and suddenly your account's banned, you know, all that kind of stuff. So most businesses, most online businesses that we sell, that we see, typically have these critical points of failure, but that doesn't mean they can't be mitigated. So in the SEO example, uh, say I was buying a content site and it's good branding, it, you know, people are coming back to the site. The first thing I would do is start building an email list. So then I can 
uh, start having omni-channel, right? Now I'm not reliant as much on Google. Google is still my prime breadwinner, but I'm mitigating that by collecting an email list. Maybe I start doing some Pinterest marketing on there as well, which is also really uh, powerful and organic, similar to Google. Uh, it's like a, almost like the Google of social media in a sense, if you're in a visual niche. Uh, so that was another way you can mitigate that. So as a buyer, you always want to look at that risk and realize like this is a real risk. Am I willing to take that risk? And is there steps that I can take to help mitigate that risk? So that that's my answer there. No question. And 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 I think to the extent that um, the these are and you've acknowledged that these are highly volatile businesses. And so what you also talked about is the advantage the the because of that you're getting higher you tend to get higher cash on cash returns early on. In the advan the example that you used, for example, I think you were saying that you know if you put twenty thousand dollars into something, you might be getting you know four thousand dollars a month back. Is that is that oh, sorry a uh, hundred thousand uh, dollars back okay. on that? Like that would be an awesome multiple. <laughs> you know, it, it's it's interesting though because I remember looking at sites some time ago, you know, and and depending on what it was, I mean, or the size of the site. I mean, some of the sites would be worth, you would pay like, you know, one year profits. I mean, that would be yeah. the site. So that's a cash on cash of um, basically 100% as long as nothing changed, so to speak. Right. Right. So can you talk a little bit about valuation specifically um, when it comes to these things? Are you, uh, I, and I'm sure it depends on the size of the site, the, the, it probably uh, the aging of the site, um, the type of, you know, business that it's uh, in. Tell, tell us about what goes into the valuation of all that. Yeah, good question. So we actually have an entire team set up to value these businesses. We call it vetting. Uh, and most of the businesses that come to sell with us, we don't actually end up listing on the marketplace. I think we're still rejecting around two thirds of businesses that come to us. Uh, so any business you see on the marketplace has passed our vetting checks. And what that means is that it's legitimately making money. It's legitimate traffic. What the seller is saying is true to the best of our ability. Uh, but in terms of how we actually value that business, there's a lot that goes into it. But some of the main factors is age, like you, like you mentioned, how old has it been? And what's the track record of that profitability? How does that profitability look like on a year over year basis? Now, some online businesses are so new uh, that you can't really do year over year. They might have 16 months, but they don't have 24, right? So that's one reason why we price using a monthly window. So we usually try to do a 12 month window, but if they do have that year over year data, that also uh, one, they'll probably get a better valuation because they have uh, more data. And two, it lets us look, is this uh, profit trending upwards? Is it trending downwards? Is it, you know, steady? Is there, is it seasonal? Uh, all that kind of stuff. So we look into that. Uh, we also look at the backlink profile. If it's an SEO site, if it's uh, a commerce store, we also look at how many SKUs they have. So a SKU is the actual product that the store is selling. It's like shorthand uh, jargon in the e-commerce sure. world. Uh, so if they have just one SKU, one product, and you know, that business would be worth four hundred or six hundred thousand dollars, we're much less likely to give them that four hundred or six hundred thousand dollars, even if everything else checks out because that's one product, right? That, that point of failure has increased dramatically. Now if that was spread out over eight products, then okay, if one product falls out of favor, 
but the other seven products are still doing well and no one product makes up over like 50% of the revenue, then this is a more stable business, more attractive to a buyer too. So that's things like that will go into effect as well. Um, there are a few other like softer points like, uh, you know, do they have good documentation like of their systems or their standard operating procedures? Uh, do they have a team in place? Does that team come over with the new, uh, the new owner or do they have to train like a right. new group of people? So there's a bunch of different factors, but net profit and the history are the two major factors. Um, talk a little bit about the size of businesses and the cost of businesses that you're typically dealing with. Because I presume... Uh, I presume there's not a lot of, you know, you, you talked about real estate. Obviously, one of the big advantages is that we can use the bank for the majority of, of the cost. Um, here, presumably, you're going to be paying out of pocket or maybe you have some kind of, you know, seller financing or whatever. But, mm -hmm. but um, what, what kind of cost are we talking about typically for, for websites that you guys broker in particular? Yeah, so... Our websites really range, have a really big range. So we, we sell sites as little as $20,000 uh, and all the way up to we've sold uh, one site just recently for $3 million. So uh, that's a huge range. So it kind of meets everyone's criteria a bit. Uh, in terms of like average deal price, uh, if you look at all the businesses that we sell on average right now, our average price is about $115,000 or maybe it's $121,000 now. It's been a bit since I looked at the number, uh, but that's the average deal size. As far as financing goes, you're absolutely correct. I, I was actually on another podcast uh, where the guy was surprised at how low the actual sales multiples are for online businesses versus say an offline business. And one of the big reasons is because of this pain point. Financing is just not in our industry. Mm -hmm. You know, if you go into Wells Fargo, like, hey, I want a $200,000 loan to buy this Amazon affiliate site. That bank is going to be like, what are you talking about? And get out of my office. <laughs> like, you are well, crazy. Yeah. <laughs> to put things into perspective, we look at the housing market, right? And, you know, people are, are buying houses that are, you know, maybe five times what their yearly salary is or something like that. If there was no ability to, um, to get debt, there's no way the houses would be priced that high because no, for one sure. Them, right. So, so it's a similar concept here. Debt in, uh, inherently has creates a, a um, significant bubble effect on any asset class. And here you don't really have that option. So you're seeing things that are in real so uh, before we move on from the financing thing, I would like to mention there are some exciting things that are happen starting to happen in the space. Uh, for one, SBA loans, so Small Business Administration. If you're a you know American citizen looking to buy a online business, uh, online businesses can qualify for SBA, and we've done a couple deals like that now, and those can be very attractive uh, ways to do the business because or to acquire the business because they'll give you almost like the vast majority of the value of the business, uh, they'll loan it to you. And it's a very agreeable rate if you want to go that route. Another thing is uh, a thing I pulled from real estate uh, from a lot of creative financiers who invest in real estate. A lot of that stuff that you learn in like commercial real estate or even residential real estate investing to do uh, creative loans applies to our business too. So we have people uh, they'll go around their local communities, like local investor clubs, local uh, entrepreneur clubs, even their local dentists. They'll like, you know, raise money from them and they'll use that to help them structure the deal. 
in terms of uh, more creative financing, if you're the buyer, if you, the one skill set that can help you the most to get a good deal is understanding how to do deal structuring. So in our industry, uh, if you ask for a seller finance uh, business, say it was a $200,000 e-commerce store, uh, you put down, I don't know, $150,000 and then the next 50K was an earnout over say over six or eight months. Uh, you ask that uh, the seller is most likely not going to charge you any interest. Uh, so they'll most likely you're going to get a 0% loan on that earnout right there. Uh, you still have to put a lot more down than say real estate, but there are a lot more creative wiggle room in our industry because even the sellers know that like, Hey, financing's hard here. They want all cash. Right. Uh, but they often understand that's not always going to be a possibility. So again, let's go back then to the question of multiples. Um, what, if, if I'm buying, I mean, do you have a range? Um, I mean, from small business, smaller, the smaller size, 20,000 business to the 3 million, you probably, as you go up in, in, you know, th that cost of business and presume that your, uh, that your, re your return on investment or cash on cash, um, uh, goes down considerably because of the increasing level of stability. I, I want to say that's always the case. Uh, if I understand the question, right. Uh, so like in the lower end of the market, like 20 to $30,000 businesses, their multiples are actually slightly inflated versus like a uh, bigger uh, businesses uh, like, or say like a seven figure business. Uh, but they are also more risky too. <laughs> so like uh, multiples are inflated, meaning you're paying more for it. Yeah. Cause there's less, there's like at less once there's, there's less of them that are actually verified because if you go underneath the $50,000 mark, that's usually where most of the internet scams exist uh, for like, yeah, like where they're like Photoshopping the numbers or, you know, that maybe they had their friends and families buying everything through their Amazon affiliate link to like play it up. Uh, so it becomes much more difficult for someone to play with numbers when you get start getting above a certain range. And usually that's the 50K range. Example, $100,000 site. What, yeah. What range of, of sort of, um, you know, cash on cash would you potentially be looking at in a, in, in sites that would, would cost you about a hundred thousand dollars. Yeah. So right around there, you're looking at uh, EBITDA of like two to uh, two to three X. Uh, so we usually, we use monthly pricing, not annual pricing. So that's more like 23 to 38 X of that monthly net profit. So it's about, so that would be um, if working backward for that, then you might expect to get your, if all things were equal, you might get your money back in your pocket in approximately two years. Yeah. And if you understand what you're doing, you can do that much, much quicker. So one of the things uh, that buyers have uh, an advantage of if they decide to learn a little bit about how internet marketing works, or even if they just hire someone that does, which is actually what I recommend because it's more leverage. Um, so let's say you buy that content site, that $100,000 content site, and it's making about five grand a month you do something called conversion rate optimization, which improves the actual user design of the place. And there's a bunch of companies you can go out and hire to do this for you. So if you're the more of the investor type, you can deploy a little bit extra capital and they can get it done for you. Typically only takes about a month um, to set up the actual test only takes a very short time, but then you need to collect the data to make sure. And basically what that does is say if I have a thousand visitors coming to a single page, and I'm converting a hundred of those visitors to customers. 
and then I do conversion rate optimization or CRO. Now that same thousand visitors, I'm converting, let's say 200 people to customers. Say everything else is the same. Uh, and I've seen this, uh, seen buyers do this when they buy these businesses and they often get a 20% lift in their net profit just from this one small thing. Uh, that doesn't take them much time, doesn't cost them much money to do. It's usually about a thousand, maybe $3,000 if you hire someone to do it for you. And they're seeing like on that five grand site, now that might be making 7000 or $7,500. And in six months, uh, the other thing that they can do is what we call a flipper Fred model. So this is the same concept as buying a, uh, you know, a house that you have to do some uh, restoration on. So you buy a house for a low price because that's still some work you need to do, and then you go and flip it, right? Same concept. Well, so they and so I was kind of I was curious about that as you were talking about it because obviously the name of your business is Empire Flipper. <laughs> yeah, it comes so, from the flippers. Yeah. <laughs> so, so the thought here potentially is that you're taking you you could be taking you know products, sell people are selling things. Um, you could buy things and then improve them. And if you're good at improving them, you could go back and then sell for a higher, you know. Exactly. Uh, since I've been, I've been working with Empire Flippers for uh, three years now, April will be three years. And uh, I've seen the same business sold on our marketplace four times. <laughs> and I, I saw this one business just recently. Uh, he bought it from us and then he, he sold it with us literally like 10 minutes after he bought it from us, which was the craziest deal I've ever seen. But he was like arbitrage. He was, yeah, it was very, he was like, Hey, do you guys he like sent in the money to us? And we were about to, uh, cause we have a, a team called the migrations team that actually helps you like transfer all the technical assets over to the new owner and make sure everything is like good and, and good. Like, you know, everything's hitting the right revenue marks, all that kind of stuff. Uh, and we were starting that process. And then he just asked us like, do you, did you guys have any other interested buyers? Like I'd be, you know, interested in seeing what they say. And we just happened to add this one guy who came in too late to the deal who was wanted to buy it for significantly more. And it just worked out like, okay, I guess we're transferring it to this guy. <laughs> so he literally, he didn't even do anything to it. He yeah. Yeah. Now that's extremely exceptional, right? Don't, don't think that's at all normal. That, I've never seen that happen before. <laughs> What's a typical brokerage fee for this kind of thing? I mean, is it like real estate where it's sort of five, six percent? Uh, so in our industry is a bit higher. Uh, so in our industry, uh, the way our company works, we have a rolling commission structure. So anything that's less than a million dollars, we do 15% on the successful sale. And then a million dollars to two million is 12%. Two to five million, it's uh, 10%. And anything five million above is 8%. And the seller's paying that, right? <laughs> that's right. The seller pays it. So uh, that covers all the costs of what we're doing in terms of marketing the business, the, you know, the negotiations, the vetting, the migrations, all that good stuff. One of the things that comes to mind for me is, you know, what else can you do besides flip? And the, you know, obviously you mentioned a few things, which was, okay, well, maybe this is just one, you know, portfolio kind of thing that you can add that if you're even a little bit tech savvy, might not be that hard to do. Um, do you also see sometimes people using these sites to jumpstart other businesses that they have? Absolutely. So that's actually a uh, buyer persona of ours, just like Flipper Fred is. Yeah. So that one we call Strategic Sally. We have all these great names. <laughs> so the Strategic Sally buyer, uh, a good example of how that might work is, let's say they had a, uh, 
a fitness e-commerce store, right? Selling jump ropes and a bunch of other fitness accessories. And then they buy a content site that's all about getting in shape. So now these two things, they can play off of each other, right? The e-commerce store can give some backlinks. The e-commerce audience can be used to turbocharge the content site's audience. But at the same time, the content site, when they have their best jump rope guides, you can put your product right there, right? Uh, the email list for that content site, you can send them over when you have deals on your e-commerce store. And if you started in another business, say a fitness coaching business, then you have the triumvirate there, right? All three of them are helping build on each other. And uh, the coolest thing about Strategic Sally is if you're the seller that happens to get lucky to find a strategic acquirer uh, like this person, they'll often pay you a lot more money than the average buyer. Because for them, they're seeing how this can you know, amplify all their other assets. So they're often willing to pay a higher price to make sure they get the deal. Got it. So let's talk about the site itself, your, your site. Um, when you go there and it's, uh, I presume it's empireflippers.com. <laughs> That's correct. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that in the show notes as well. When you go there, can you literally, um, how does it work? I mean, do I, do I, is it like an MLS where I can search um, for businesses? And if I'm interested, I click on it and then, you know, you, you guys kind of contact, how does that work? Yeah, uh, MLS is a, is a good analogy. Uh, so you go to our marketplace, so empireflippers.com slash marketplace, and you'll see all of our current listings for sale there. And there's a few filtering options you can do, like based off monetization, uh, based off price points. You know, there's a few different things you can do. And that's something we're going to be improving upon uh, down the road with this new platform we're building. So the filtering options will be getting even better for uh, buyers. But uh, let's say you see a e-commerce store that you really like, uh, you like the niche. And uh, what one thing we don't do is we don't give away the exact niche because we try to protect our sellers. So if it's a jump roping site, we might say fitness site, right? Uh, and if you're interested in learning more about that business, we show you the PNL. So you see the profit and loss, you see the traffic statements, all that kind of stuff and an overview of what the business actually is. But when you, when it comes time to do your actual due diligence, there's two ways to get uh, deeper information on that business. So you can either make a deposit. So a deposit is just a 5% refundable deposit. Uh, even if you buy the business, we actually refund the, <laughs> refund the money because we only accept bank wire as actual payment. Uh, so it's always refundable. And the reason why we have that set up is literally just to get rid of uh, tire kickers and copycats, all that kind of stuff. Right. Uh, you'd be amazed at how few of them actually will make a deposit, even though we say yeah, yeah. it's refundable. Sure. Um, but the other way that you can get more information on that business is by scheduling a call with our team of business analysts and tell them, hey, I'm interested in this listing. And usually if you're a new buyer, the business analyst will talk to you a bit before they show you the listing. They'll uh, ask you some questions, get understand your criteria and kind of really what your goals are, right? Like what kind of buyer are you to make sure that this listing is actually correct? Because if, if you say like, hey, I'm interested in this software business and then they started talking to you and you have zero coding technology, like zero coding knowledge, zero management knowledge, never even done anything in the online business space, our team might say, well, you might not want to buy that software business just yet. But there's this other business that actually matches your criteria. So we'll consult you on that. Um, but once you get the, more, uh, the due diligence information from the business, we give you the domain so you can see the site, you can see everything about it. You can start asking any questions you want with us. We'll answer all of those questions. Uh, if you want to talk to the actual seller, uh, we'll set up something called uh, buyer-seller conference calls. And that's where our sales guy 
he'll tell you as the buyer, like, hey, look, this is the seller. Uh, I'm going to bring him on. Here's some things you should know about the seller that might help you get a better deal. Uh, just, you know, where the seller is coming from, what he wants. I, and are we coach the sell side too on who the buyer is that they're about to talk to? Because we want everyone to walk away winning, uh, you know, all three sides of us on this. Uh, from the buyer's all conference call, usually you can hash out the deal in uh, more real time about, you know, deal structuring, earnouts, all that kind of stuff. Uh, usually the deal isn't done just then, uh, but usually happens uh, shortly after a buyer seller conference call. Got it. So, and then for, as you mentioned, uh, talking a little bit about, you know, what, what your interests are and stuff, do you, you know, in the same way that a buyer's broker might, you know, kind of if, if, if say, say, say somebody's interested, but they don't really know like specifically the type of business and have, do you ever do like consultations with people and say, well, what are you interested in? What's your price point? And if something comes up, we contact you. Do you do, do you ever do things that way? Oh yeah. All, all the time. So there's two caveats on that. One is that often when a buyer uh, comes to us with a, a request like that, usually they're asking for such a specific business that is unlikely we're ever going to get it. Like, Hey, you know, I'm interested in, flower pots made out of clay that is a e-commerce drop shipping model like okay we're never going to contact you most likely if you, if you like one in a million chances like that's very specific business comes across but what we do uh recommend is what we call a criteria discovery call uh which is goes back to what i was talking about earlier where we really consult you on well what are your plans what do you want to do what are your current skill sets or what kind of skills are you wanting to acquire uh you know all that kind of stuff and we'll create a framework for you, uh, due to almost a due diligence framework for you, where we take of the first we take over the first step for you. Like, hey, this hits seven out of your ten uh, targets. Uh, I think you should give it a really good look because the three the three points that don't hit your uh, targets, I don't think you're going to care about that much because of X, Y, and Z. You know, things like that. How long have you, have you guys been in business? Uh, so we've been officially Empire Flippers since 2011. Uh, we saw some meteoric growth in the last three years. Uh, we started off pretty small. We actually were initially just selling our own sites. <laughs> and uh, what happened was we were blogging about it. And uh, a lot of people in our audience were like, hey, would you mind selling my site too? Because you guys have this audience. I'll pay you a commission. And that kind of what led us to, us to here today. Fascinating stuff. So again, um, the, the site is empireflippers.com. Uh, is there, and there's a book there as well. That you yeah. So it's just a small little ebook. It's meant especially for people just getting started to explain the different business models that are out there. I, I can send you the Amazon link or, or like I said, you can just go to our blog. It was originally just a series of blog posts. So you can also catch it there. Fantastic. Well, listen, uh, Greg, it was really uh, good talking to you today and, uh, uh, thanks for coming on Wealth Formula Podcast. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Hopefully your audience uh, learned a few things. And they can always reach out to me, by the way, uh, just greg at empireflippers.com if you want to contact me. Great. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the show, everyone. I have to tell you that I, uh, I really enjoyed that interview because I, I love the idea of online businesses. Um, I've been tempted by buying them myself, uh, may, do, may do so in the future. Um, however, the important thing to remember, though, before you get into this, is that you really need to understand your own limitations and come up with some kind of strategy if you're going to do that. And I would recommend you talking to the broker about your own skill sets, et cetera, and, you know, anything like that before you get involved. Um, you know, 
listen, if you're a tech person, for example, uh, and can figure out how to improve conversion or search engine optimization, or you even understand what I'm talking about, um, it might be a no-brainer for you. But for those of you who are looking for a less hands-on approach, just be careful. Um, you know, careful on the buy, especially. You know, consider partnering maybe with some more tech-savvy individuals who can improve your net operating income. I mean, this is an area where I do do like the idea of flipping businesses just because of the volatile nature of all of this, that if you can improve something and sell it quickly, um, it could be something that could be really exciting. Um, the problem is that, uh, you know, again, I assure you that it won't be fully hands off. You'll at the very least need somebody else. You know, maybe it's your kids or somebody managing this and taking care of it. Um, by the way, if anyone moves forward with buying a business like this, particularly from this group, let me know. I'd want to hear all about it. Shoot me an email. Um, or leave me a voicemail. If you go to wealthformula.com, you can uh, go to leave Buck a voicemail. Uh, and by the way, I would like to encourage you to go there and ask me some questions or leave me some comments because we will be doing an Ask Buck show in the not so distant future. And I'd love to get your voice on the show. Also, while you're there at wealthformula.com, give me a five-star review. There's a little button there you can click. It says give us a five-star review or something like that. Um, because that really helps keep up, uh, you know, the quality of the show, uh, exposure to others by getting us higher in the charts. And at the end of the day, uh, helps us to really continue with getting high quality content and guests. So that's it for me this week. This is Buck Joffrey with Wealth Formula Podcast signing off. Thank you for listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast. Visit us on the web at wealthformula.com. The information contained in this podcast are opinions, not fact. As always, consult your own financial team before making any investment. See you next time. Buck Joffrey here from Sapio with Buck Joffrey. Aging might become reversible over the next 10 to 20 years. It's already being done in lab animals, so it's just a matter of time. Our challenge? To be healthy enough for when that time comes. As a former scientist and surgeon myself, my goal is to figure out how to do that and to share it with you. I wrote a book called Living Longer for Busy People that you can download for free at sapiopodcast.com. You'll be amazed at just how a few daily adjustments can add years of a healthy life for you. Again, download it for free, sapiopodcast.com.